if your Christian life was a test, and if you pass this test, heaven will be your home. But if you fail this test, there's another option. At this point, right now, the question is, will you pass? If your Christian life was a test, will you pass? So today, my goal is to challenge your faith. Challenge your view of faith. The insecurities and other types of faith will be contrasted consistently by a faith that Jesus provides. Can somebody say amen? And so I'm going to try my best to exegete the scriptures of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. We're going to walk through these scriptures and see how Peter defined faith, how Peter's faith was challenged and how Peter was successful in his faith walk. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the scripture says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The question that you have to ask yourself is how important is your faith? Were we to do a, a, a faith, is, uh, is your faith strong enough to make it through the storms in your life? Is it strong enough? Peter knows the importance of faith. And he gives us a great picture of what faith is, a faith that we can anchor deep and a faith which will hold us during the test of times, during the real storms of life. When Peter wrote these letters, things were changing. In the beginning of the first century church, the government remained unconcerned about this new religious sect. They was unconcerned about this Christianity thing. But as the church grew, the constrictions that the government had on the church grew as well. Peter is writing to a people who are finding it increasingly difficult to live this life of faith. In our class, one of the students said, Christianity, man, it's boring. His view of Christianity was boring. This life that God said that you will have more abundantly, this, this scripture that tells me that the joy of the Lord is my strength, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. We talk about joy. They said boring. Christianity is boring. And so now we have to convince our young people that Christianity isn't boring. And so my reply to them was, was it, what is it that you want to do that Christianity don't allow you to do? What are the places that you want to go that your faith won't allow you to go? What are the things that you want to partake in that Christianity don't allow you to partake in? So even today, and I want to see your hands if you believe it, it's not easy to be a Christian. We, we must find a way to live this faith walk without compromise. Because we have to understand that Christianity isn't the norm anymore. It's not normal to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, if you're a Christian, you are weird. What do you mean? 
a guy was swallowed up by a whale. That doesn't make sense. What do you mean somebody walked on the water? That doesn't make sense. Somebody raised somebody else from the dead? That's stupid. And my own logic, my own philosophy, don't even allow that. Don't you know I went to college? Don't you know I have a master's degree? Don't you know I took a philosophy class that taught me logic? And it's not logical for us to defy gravity and someone can be raised up into a cloud. That defeats the law of gravity. And so Christianity is weird. So Peter helps us gain some insight into how to live an authentic Christ-centered faith in the midst of what's not normal. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, 4, and 5, the scripture says, and into inheritance that you can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through the faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to reveal to you the last time. The question is not if we have faith, because everyone has faith. Even the atheist has faith. He believes that his rational reasoning can remove the possibility of God. We have faith in our jobs. We have faith in our finances. We have faith in our abilities, our skills, our connections. We have faith. The question is, where is your faith anchored? And the question is, can your faith hold you when you no longer have the money? Can your faith hold you when you're sick and you're on, on the verge of death? Can your faith hold you when you lose your job? Can your faith hold you when the storms come? There, there was a guy, his name was Kevin. Kevin Bell, to be exact. And Kevin Bell was an investment banker, and he was in charge of $4.5 billion. And in March 2nd of 2017, last year, Kevin jumped out the ninth floor window of his office building, and he fell to his death. Kevin, why? You had everything. You had the money. You had the women. You had the nice clothes. You drove the Maserati. Why did you kill yourself? They said Kevin was depressed. Wow. I can only infer that Kevin's faith was in the things that he possessed as opposed to having the faith in someone that can possess him. I remember, let me talk to you. I got skills. I remember I was playing high school football, right? No, for real, I was good. Like, like I was, I was, I was great. Actually, I was, I was great. Matter of fact, they should have called me Double G. You know what Double G means? That's God's gift. I was God's gift to football. I was great. I'm telling you, I was great. And I, we had this mirror room that we used to go into before uh, football games. And the mirror room was a mirror all the way around. It's where the dancers were. And I used to get in the mirror and I used to talk to myself. I said, they don't even know who you are. You are Tony Stone. You are a beast. You, they can't hold you. They, they can't. I had all these abilities in myself. This faith was in me. 
They can't hold you. You're about to score about six touchdowns today. I mean, you're going to catch every ball. You're going to break through the lines. You are a beast. You are a Tony Stone. Do they know the skills that you have? I said that to myself before every game. Every game. But then I was standing there, and I said the same thing. I remember it was the second game of my senior year. I was on my way to play Division I football, and I'm like, you are Tony Stone. You don't, don't they don't know? And then I got hurt. My lineman was getting blocked and rolled my ankle. And now I'm sitting at home. You're a Tony Stone. Did you say, oh, <laughs> you, you ain't playing no more. You're sitting on the bench. You're watching Teray Hawthorne score all the touchdowns that you used to score. You're watching them do all the things that you used to do. Because my faith wasn't me. But this wasn't a faith that holds. Because my ankle didn't hold, my faith left. And so the question is, what is your faith anchored in? There used to be an old song. The big dude used to get up there and be like, my soul has been anchored. I wish I could sing. The Lord. And he used to sing that song. You like that part? All right. And, and he used to sing, and the church used to shout, and I was like, man, if I could do that. But he was talking about our souls has to be anchored in our Savior, in the Lord. Peter said that our faith should be uncorrupted. Our faith should be uncorrupted. You have no doubt you heard the phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So it is a statement that indicates our sinful nature. History is full of leaders who started off with great intentions. But then their ego steps in the way. Their pride steps in the way. And their flaws get in the way. See, we place so much faith in our leaders. Let me tell you, I love our pastors. I love them. But what happens is when we place our pastors on this pedestal and then we see their human qualities, we get disappointed and we start judging. Like, oh my God, I thought they were saved. <laughs> it's true. I, I, I thought they were saved. Wait a minute. He preached this message Sunday about love, but he ignored me in the hallway. He don't love me. The reality is, is they're human just like us. They have a sinful nature just like us. They just have a different calling. And so we place so much faith in our leadership. I asked the students one time, I said, when did your father stop becoming Superman? When did you realize that your daddy wasn't a superhero? He said, I, I remember, I remember the day I was sitting on the porch. My daddy said, I'm coming to get you. He's coming to get me. Got my bags packed. I'm right here. My daddy coming to get me. <laughs> right? I'll be there at 5 o'clock. It's 4.45. My daddy coming to get me. My daddy coming to get me. It's 6 o'clock. My daddy ain't here yet. Street lights on. 8 o'clock. My daddy's not here yet. 9.30. It's time to go to bed. My daddy's... Not here yet. 
So he was no longer Superman. That joker is just Clark Kent. He's messed up just like me. He lied. So he's no longer a superhero to me. He's just a regular old dude. But the reality is, is that we're just regular old dudes. We're regular old people, but we have this supernatural superhero God that if our faith is just anchored in him, we become supernatural. The Bible says Christ has no sin. And our faith is in the power of God. God is absolute power. And this absolute power is uncorrupted. There is no pride. There is no ego in the power of Christ. In the scope of eternity, Jesus is the only person who has absolute power. But not only that, he is also the only person with whom absolute power has not been corrupted. Not even a little bit. We have a high priest who, not, who has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was tempted in all ways, but he did what? Sin not. Our faith can only be incorruptible when it's placed in Christ. Can somebody say amen? Our faith has to be unfading. There, there, there's these fads. I remember the 1990s. It was before I was born. Even you, Curtis. In the 1990s, I don't know if you guys remember cross colors. Man, I used to rock my cross colors or I rock my Jabot jeans or my Chicago Bulls jersey that was like extra, extra large and I was only a small. I remember that. But that fad left and now they have skinny jeans. I didn't say anything. I just looked. Making eye contact with the audience because you have to be one with the audience. And so I just looked. I looked on the internet the other day. They have skinny shorts. They, no, not biker shorts. They're jeans. Like, skinny shorts cause chafing. But that's another fad. And so I wonder what's happening next. Even the way that we approached women back in the day. I remember, come here for a second. Let me. Look, I told you I was double G, God's gift. I'm telling you, look, I was so good. I'm telling you, watch, watch, watch this. Take notes. Can I take a picture of you? Say why. Why? Because I want to show Santa Claus what I want for Christmas. Oh. Y'all see that? That was smooth, right? I mean, it was, you like that? Watch this, I got another one. I got another one. No? Watch this. Watch this, Pastor Ray. You can learn something. Something's wrong with my eyes. Say what? What? 
I don't know because I can't take them off you. You like that? Thank you. So back in the day, we had pickup lines. Even the little kids. Would you go with me, yes or no, check the box. But now, I don't know what they do. They text messaging, Snapchatting, sending pictures. Y'all don't have game, but it's a fad. And so it may change, I, I hope. Just pull out your parents' yearbook. Look at their hairstyles. Look at those collars they used to wear. Pants that was tight at the bottom, loose at the bottom, tight at the top, loose at the bottom. It's fads. But this is the amazing thing about our God. God is not a fad. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the faith that you have now will last until the test of times. You have to understand that the same favor that God gave you yesterday, he'll give you tomorrow. The same way that he loved you yesterday, he'll love you tomorrow. The same way that he blessed you yesterday, he'll bless you tomorrow. He was a healer yesterday. He's a healer today. He'll be a healer tomorrow. He's a way maker yesterday. He's a way maker today. And he'll be a way maker tomorrow because God doesn't change. And so why not anchor my faith in a God that doesn't change? A good faith is a tested faith. This is when things get a little bit shaky. This is a thing when it gets a little bit tough. The scripture says in verse 6 that in all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ. This faith is not real faith unless it's been tested. Our faith must be anchored in the timeless nature of Christ. But I can hear the question. I can feel the question. I see you pointing those beady eyes at me. How do I know that a faith in Christ will really hold during the storms of life? Because I remember my great-grandmama saying Jesus was coming back. And I remember my grandmother saying Jesus is coming back. And I remember my mama said, Jesus is coming back. And now you telling me Jesus is coming back. He ain't back yet. So how do I know this is real? How do I know this faith is going to hold? Why should I trust this Christ you talk about? Because this is no ordinary faith. It's tested faith. Countless people have placed their faith in Christ and found that the anchor holds. Peter was on this boat, and Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And when, when, when Peter walked out to the deck of the boat, he said he saw something. And he said it was like a ghost, and it was approaching him. And it was like, whoa, whoa, that, that might be Jesus. And he said, Jesus, that's you. Bid me to walk on the water. Peter began to walk on the water. His faith was tested, and his faith held. They were going on a boat again. Why are they always on a boat? 
And there was a storm. And, and the, the boat was knocked to and fro in the sea. And they were like, oh my God, we're going to die. And so they went down to the, to the boat and they said Jesus was asleep. Watch this part. On a pillow. Where you get a pillow from? Anybody ever thought about this? Like, where you get a pillow from, Jesus, on a boat? Y'all been traveling? He was asleep on a pillow. And they said, Master, do you not care that we're about to perish? And Jesus walked on the boat, looked out, and he said, peace be still. And the storm ceased. And the wind ceased. And they said to themselves, what manner of man is this? That even the winds obey. And then Jesus turned to them and said, Oh, ye of little faith. But see, in my mind, even though Jesus said it, there was a little faith there. He said, oh, ye of little faith. He didn't say there was no faith because they knew where to go. They knew that their Savior was in the bottom of the boat. They know if I go to this Jesus, that we'll be saved. Do you know that? Do you know that in spite of what's going on in your life, that you can go to our Savior and you will be, somebody say, saved. Saved. Peter found a tested faith is valuable, a tested faith is revealing, and a tested faith is centered in love. The purpose of these troubles is to test your faith as fire is tested in order to become pure gold. Anybody know the gold purifying process? Anybody know? Raise your hand if you know. One, two, two, two. Good job. Good job. Two people. That gives me the opportunity to tell you. So what happens is, fire is put under intense heat. And the hotter the fire is, the more the gold begins to melt. The more the gold begins to melt, the more impurities rise to the top. And what the goldsmith does is, he looks at the impurities, he takes this tool, and he scrapes it off. The, 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 the gold is put under even more intense heat and the more impurities rise to the top and he scrapes it off. And the impurities rise to the top and he scrapes it off. And the impurities rise to the top and he scrapes it off. So what happens is, in order for your, ta- your faith to be tested, there has to be some heat. There has to be some trying times. How do I know that God is a healer unless I've been sick? How do I know that he's a deliverer unless that I've been in a situation where I need to be delivered? How do I know that he's a way maker unless I've been in a situation where there was no way out? The faith has to be tested. In Matthew, John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there is none greater than John the Baptist. None greater than John the Baptist. He prepared the way for the Lord. As a matter of fact, when he baptized Jesus, God said, John. He didn't really say John. He said, said, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. He wasn't talking to anybody else because it was John's job to to prepare the way for the Lord. So the only person he was talking to was John. John, in other words, your job is over. Your mission is finished. You prepared the way for this Christ. Can you imagine just hearing through your auditory ears The voice of God scared me to death. So John was in some heat. He was arrested. They were going to cut his head off. His faith was being tested. 
The great thing about heat is that it tells you what's in you. And so when you go through your most difficult trials, the thing that's in you rise to the top and God has shown you the impurities that's in you so that you can scrape it off. So there had to be some doubt in John because he sent his service to Jesus and he said, John told me to ask you, is it you who I was waiting for or should I look for another? Wait a minute, John. You spent your whole life preparing for this Jesus. You, you preached in the wilderness all these years for this Jesus. You heard the voice of God say, John, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But then when John was under some heat, there was some doubt. Guess what Jesus said? Go tell John to remember. Go tell John the things that you hear and the things that you see. Go tell John that the blind received their sight. Go tell John that the lame is now walking. Go tell John that the leopard is cleansed. Go tell John that the deaf now hear. Go tell John that the gospel has been preached to the poor. What is he saying? What is he saying to you? If I done it for you before, I'll do it again. Remember the times when I healed you. Remember the times when I delivered you. Remember the times when I brought you out. Remember the times when you had more bills and money and I somehow made a way. Whenever your faith is tested, I want you to remember. Your memory is your best testimony. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb. What God has done for you and the word of our testimony, what you've experienced. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can't let our troubles shake us, guys. We can't let temptation and bad news shake us. We have to have this testimony that says on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. While gold is valuable, it's secondary to your faith. Peter said that this faith is revealing. The goldsmith knew that if he looked into the gold and he could see his reflection, that this gold was pure. Why is that in the Bible? Because Jesus is saying, if I can look into you and see my reflection, if I can look at your life in spite of your flaws, in spite of your trouble, if I can look into your life and see my reflection, I know that you're mine. We have to be the reflection of Christ to the world. We don't have to always have a Bible and carry it and say, look, the scripture says this. No, we have a life and our life should be a direct reflection of who Christ is. And this is how we become witnesses. Our faith should reflect Jesus, and it should reveal him to the world. As we grow in Christ, we learn more about him, and we learn more about his love. It is only through a life given to Christ that we can see him for who he really is. Hmm. I remember when I got married, she shook her head because she knew I was coming. We spent about two years dating. So, again, I was a track star, too. <laughs> I told you I was double G. I was God's gift. 
I was a track star too. And I was fast. And so I was running from Tasha and she was chasing me. Steve, I'm telling you. She was chasing me, man. She was chasing me. I'm like, man, I'm not interested. And she's still chasing me. No, I don't want to go out. Say she was chasing me, man. You know how his capas are, man. She was chasing me. But I guess I didn't have enough stamina because she caught up. Harry Stewart know what I'm talking about. Right, Harry? Chasing you, man. Look at her smiling like, yeah, you know. And so marriage is a whole lot different than dating. Yeah. When, when, when we were dating, I used to put on my best self. I was smooth. I was smooth. I used to get my fresh cut. I used to put on my uh, Calvin Klein CK1. Look at it. Everybody's smiling like that's old school. Yeah. I used to put on my CK1. I used to always have my suits on, man. Tasha was like, oh, man, look at him. That's what she said. No, for real. It's my story. I got the mic. <laughs> I can tell my story. And so I was smooth. And I put on my best self. I even vacuumed out my car every now and then. You know, put some uh, armor all on the, on, the, on the dashboard so it can shine. I used to hang the, uh, the black ice. You know the black ice? I used to have the black ice air freshener. And then I, I got something else that y'all don't know about. I used to put the dry, you know, the, um, the cloth that you put in the dryer. The dryer sheets, I put them under the seat. So the car can smell like fresh clothes. <laughs> yeah. Y'all didn't know about that. And so that was game, right? Game recognized game. All right. And so we finally got married. And I realized that the deeper and the more I got to know her, not the facade that we put on, I no longer had to put the dryer sheets under the seat. I never <laughs> didn't have to do the black ice anymore. I moved from CK1 to just lotion. Because I didn't have to do that anymore. But I was learning her for who she was. And the more I got to know about her, the deeper I fell in love with her. The more intimate that we became. We, we, we learned each other intellectually. There was, a, there was an intimacy that just couldn't be broken at that point. And Jesus is saying, you won't know the real me until you get to know me intimately when in your secret closet when 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 no one else is around when 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 the when you stop putting on the the, the self that you put on in church when the music stops and, and the band goes home and, and that's when you get to know me and that's when you get to see the real me and that's the one that you fall in love with this faith has to be centered on the love of Christ this faith has to be centered on the love of Christ, and this faith has to be true. 
Shalisha, can you come here for a second? This is going to be awesome. No, this is good. Like, we're about to do a duet. Testing, testing. Can you turn this one? Ken, can you turn this one, please? We're about to do a duet. BB and CC. Okay. So, let me ask you a few questions. Number one, are you a good person? How do you know? do for others. What else? Like Jesus. You do for others. What else? That's okay. Raise your hand if you think you're a good person. On a good day, somebody said. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever stolen anything? Never. Not even the cookie out of the cookie jar when your mother said don't get it. Never stolen. Good. <laughs> Have you ever lied? You've lied. And so if you lie, that makes you a what? No, no, let's be honest. If you, if, if you lie, what does it make you? That makes you a liar. And somebody else said human. That makes you human. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you lied. You have never. Have you ever looked at a guy and lusted after him? Yes. You have? Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. So. Now watch this, watch this. So the Bible says um, all liars will have their place in a, in a pit of fire. No, 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 no. Shush, shush, shush. I'm, I, I'm going somewhere with this. All liars will have their Please. And no liars is, should be in his presence. And then the Bible says if you lusted after man in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So you're a lying adulterer. That's the truth. You're a lying adulterer. So, so now, you've, by your confession, by, by what you just said, I did. you're a lying adulterer. Okay, no, 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 no. So, being a liar and an adulterer, if you stood before God, are you innocent or guilty? Can't plead the fifth. This is not the Black Panther Party. <laughs> are you innocent right now or are you guilty? God does judge. God is a righteous judge. So he does judge. And so since he is the judge, and if you stood before him right now, your adultery, lying self, are you innocent or are you guilty? She can't say, and then she'll be a liar for real. Now, now, you're, calling her, now you're making her lie more. Are you innocent or are you guilty? No, ain't no questions. This is just... Uh, are you innocent or are you guilty? I, I would be guilty? You'll be guilty, that's enough. Have a seat. <laughs> She's guilty if she stands before God, being a liar or an adulterer, but she says she was a good person. 
But the reality is, is that if we all stand before God, we're guilty. Every single one of us. Even if I've never lied, the Bible said I was born in sin. So I was born guilty. But the great thing about our Savior, the great thing about this true faith is that we had a God who came down from heaven. He suffered for us. He went to the cross on Golgotha's hill and he stretched out his arm and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He rested his head and said, it is finished. And he paid the price for all of us. And now we have the opportunity to move from guilty to innocent. All because of what our God done. But there's a catch. (laughs) The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, this Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, then you move from guilty to innocent. And there are some people in this room who haven't made that transition yet. But God is saying, this is your time. This is your appointed time to transition from guilty to innocent. Because repentance is not something that we do one time. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's something that we do over and over and over and over again because we still have this corrupt nature. We still live in this body. Paul said, who shall deliver me from this body? The things that I want to do, Those are things that I find myself not doing. And the things that I find myself not doing, those are things that I should be doing. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. And we're all wretched. We're all sinful. And we all need to come before our Savior in repentance. Can we all stand to our feet?